This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to say that I'm joined on Football CFB by Ian Brunskill, who is a coach who's got a very interesting career path. He's worked with Liverpool, worked with Blackburn and Bolton, clubs that we're all familiar with, but also worked out in Malta, worked with a with a um, Jordan national team, worked in Molda with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and over in Shanghai in China as well. First of all, Ian, thanks for joining me. Welcome, thanks for having me. The first thing I want to talk to you about, in terms of your playing career, um, you you were you came through at Liverpool. You also did a, a spell with Bury, but you started coaching really young. What really got you interested in coaching? I think what, as I say, I sort of um, my playing career, um, and then going into coaching afterwards, you sort of realise, you know, the, the penny drops at the end. I was what you what you call a I was a developed kid you know I was physically developed and all the rest of it when I was sort of 14 15 16 so when it, when it came to although I was a professional at Liverpool playing the reserve team that final step was was too much for me really and then I got a I got a year at Bury um they just won the what's now the league two going into league one so they had an experienced team and they actually bounced straight back up and went straight along into the uh, into the championship so that was, you know, I, I had sort of no illusions around that, really. And then I started playing semi-professional in the conference for League Town, which, you know, was still at a decent enough level. That was sort of semi-pro. Um, and I was fitting garage doors and working on the market and all the rest of it. And I actually bumped, I was with my parents, and I bumped into Steve Howie, who'd been my youth coach at Liverpool. And he asked me what I was doing. Um, and I told him, and when I left, I went out somewhere, you know, whatever. Um, and he went and joined my parents and said, "Look, we're, we're opening up the academy. Part of your part of my apprenticeship back then, you did your level two coaching. So I already had that. I think it, they called it the prelim back then, um, but it was part of your sort of YTS thing. So I had that. And he said, "I know he's got that. Can you get him to come and see me on Monday?" So on the Monday morning, I went in. And he explained what they were trying to do. They were, you know, they were opening up the academy. It was it was the start of the academy system. So they had to set up a community program. Um, as part of the academy criteria, which was going into schools, working with local uh, grassroots teams and all the rest of it. And uh, that was that really. And that was in 19, was that 1997? I think that was. Um, and that's how I really, I got into it. But it was funny because when I was a young pro at Liverpool, I sort of, I used to help my local team, uh, like the under 11s or something. So it was always something that was I was quite interested in. And obviously, as you work your way through and you get your qualifications, you're lucky if you, you know you can get uh, you get the different opportunities to do different things, and that's been the case with me really. So it was a bit of an off chance meeting really that, that got me going. You mentioned the fact that it's an off chance meeting. In terms of your coaching credentials, you've got the UEFA Pro license. You've clearly worked hard on the coaching side. Just just how important is it working through those levels to to, to develop as a coach and 
And I assume as well that the further you develop as a coach with your qualifications, the more opportunities that are out there. Yeah, for me, the edu- the coach education is at the centre of it, um, of everything really. If you're looking at even the role I'm sort of in now with the Chinese FA, the first part of call is to improve the level of coaching. I think once you improve the level of coaching, you give the players a um, more of an opportunity to develop. So I think it, it, it's vital for me. Um, I had an 18 months spell at with the FA working in coach education and it was a brilliant thing for me because I'd been I'd worked at Premier League level as a first team coach for you know a couple of years and then I went out of that and then I came back in and the level of education how it had changed since I'd done mine in sort of 10 years was was uh, astonishing really um, so I think it's crucial I think there's things that ex-players that have played at the top level can always offer that a player that hasn't coached at the top level can offer, and I think those those experiences are you know you, you can't uh, you know you, you I don't think you can beat the, the the way that they can relate to players and situations, high pressure situations. But I still think that you know there's in terms of getting to depending on what they want to be, if they want to be a field coach or a manager, it's slightly different. But I think getting getting the qualifications is always good, and um, you know it's good to see that you know the certainly the more recently, a lot of the, the players that play top level stuff are, are, are you know going down the line and making sure because they have to now. It's a criteria you've got to be qualified. That's you know that's 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 how it is. But real important for me. In terms of yourself, you mentioned the fact that you're working with the Chinese FA. You're working primarily in their technical department. What does that role involve, and how did you get involved in working for the Chinese FA? Well, um, after I left. Um, I left Jordan I was over in Jordan for 18 months working with the under 23 team over there and I left and came home and I'd sort of accepted a job um, in Hong Kong going to be the head of academy for the Hong Kong FA and I got um, I got approached right at the right at the last minute by someone who um, the Chinese FA at the time were trying to develop the next Olympic team it would have been for these Olympics now so it was in 2018, this, and they wanted to start a process of looking at the best players, bringing them together. So I accepted a role mainly because the first part of it, um, the first part of it was eight weeks in the UK. So it worked out quite well. Then we went back to China, and this was working for Shanghai SIPG, who um, obviously was Chinese Super League team. So that it was, it was working with their under 21 players really developing them for this showcase event where all the best players in the country would would um would be on show uh and then ultimately after that after this sort of showcase Gus Hiddink picked his squad of players and he worked with them so that was that and but uh the, the sports marketing company IMG were involved in that in that project um and the vice president uh, since within the last sort of year, moved to the Chinese FA. So he asked me, he re-asked me again to go and to go and work with them, having you know done this little project with them, um, and that's that's how it all came about. Really, they're going through a real, real restructure. The Chinese FA, they're looking at different things. They've had a lot of foreign big names gone over there, but they want to. They're going a bit deeper now, and they want to try and develop things, really align everything with the national teams, but develop the academy system. Um, develop the facilities um, and really look to get some sort of continuity really but with Chinese coaches at the 
forefront of it. So again, it's it's a coach education um, project, really, as much as as much as anything else. Although I will be um, doing a lot of work with the under nineteen team, the current under nineteen team, who are the next Olympic team for Paris twenty twenty four if if they get to qualify. So. Um, yeah, that's how it all came about, really. But it's, uh, you know, different people. And once, and I say this to a lot of people, working abroad, if you get the opportunity, it's fantastic. And particularly Asia, because it's, uh, obviously, it's a vast area. But once you get, once you've worked there, lots of other opportunities come up. And that's, that's really how it worked out, really. In terms of Chinese football, whenever anyone asks about, for instance, the MLS, the big thing that's always said is, is the, what's the standard like? Is it improving year on year? And, the obvious question is to ask, Chinese football, what's the standard like? Have you noticed an improvement since you've been there over the years? Yeah, I think there's lots of... They've tried to... They've toyed around with the format of it and the, the amount of foreigners you can have. Um, I'm not actually quite sure at the moment. I think it's now five foreigners that you can have in a team. Uh, but one of, the, one of those foreigners must be from Asia. So um, that's, that's something that's come in. Um, but then there's also rules like the goalkeepers have to be Chinese. So that's like something that they've put in place to make sure they can develop the goalkeepers so they're getting an, you know, an opportunity. So things like that, that uh, you know, the rules and the regulations can help in some ways. But then another rule was that uh, you had to, however many foreigners you played in a game, you were allowed to play three, you had to play the same number of under 21 players as well. This was a couple of seasons ago they had this rule. So what it meant was that the under-21 players have got real value because the teams need them. But what wasn't stipulated was how long you played them. So a lot of the time they could get substituted after five minutes and then brought on an, an, an older Chinese player would come. In terms of the standard, it's getting better. I think the more um, the level of the Chinese players is getting better. Um, Obviously, they're exposed to different things or they're being exposed to different things. Um, and I think the, the, the strategy that the, the CFA are taking now and the new direction that they're going in, I think they're in for it long term. And obviously, with people, you know, a population of 1.3 billion, you know, if they even get it half right, it's going to be, you know, they'll make a big impression. So uh, some of the games are really good. Um, in terms of Asia, you know, uh, Guangzhou Evergrande have won a couple of Asian Champions Leagues in recent years. So across across those you know though that in that area of the world you know I think it's as it's you know they they, they keeping on improving I think they'll only they'll only continue. To rewind back to the start of your coaching career with Liverpool, you're coming through that system in the academy, and you also work alongside the current Oxford manager and Carol Robinson. What was it like working with him and the group of coaches that that were there at the time? Um, we were really fortunate, I think, because we had um, we had all the way through the academy system. We had a lot of, you know, Steve Howe was at the top of it, and Hugh McCauley, Dave Shannon, a lot of other people, um, and they really they really wanted to help the younger coaches out. So we were at the real young end: myself, Carl, uh, Ian Dawes, who was at Blackpool, Michael Garrity, who was under twenty three at Liverpool. Stuart Gellin, who went on to, he was assistant coach in Japan, um, and a couple of other guys who, a lot of, a lot of us had been ex-Liverpool youth players, so that was something that they wanted to ensure that happened, really. He brought back 
ex-Liverpool youth players, whether we'd got to the, you know, whether we'd been in the youth team or the reserves or whatever, we sort of knew the club and they knew us and, you know, the rest of it. So we we had a real good group of young coaches um, at that period. And we were all involved with the at the real young end, to be honest. Um, Steve Highway left um, when he retired and they brought in a, a Dutch technical director called Pete Hamburg. And he brought across a lot of the Dutch methods, a lot of the Will Curver stuff that were that he'd adapted really to include a lot of uh, 1v1, a lot of 2v2, 2v2, a lot of the individual technical stuff and dominating the ball. And it was a real, it was a good, it was a great programme for the younger ones, really good. I learned a lot. And he did things like for the first year he was there, he put coaching sort of sessions on for the coaches, like at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, which obviously, you know, you wanted to attend because you wanted to learn and you wanted to do And he taught us his method and we carried on and we used it. And a lot of the, you know, I've said this more recently as well, a lot of the grounding that some of the kids who've got, you know, have done quite well in the first team at Liverpool at the moment, um, they were part of that that programme at the beginning, you know, sort of five to eight, Trent, Curtis Jones, Ben Woodburn, you know, Paul Glatzer, there's, a, there's been a few of them. So, you know. It, it was a really good programme. We had a good group of young coaches. We were all under 30. You know, we, we worked together in the day and, you know, we played footy in the staff team in the evening and then we'd go out together. We had a good time. But we, all, we all developed. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good time, a happy time, really. In terms of those names you mentioned, Curtis Jones, Ben Woodburn, Trent Alexander-Arnold, see, because you were involved in their development at a very young age, See, when you see them in the first team now, whether that's at Liverpool or out in a loan spell, does that fill you with immense pride, thinking that you'd played a part in their journey across the, the spectrum of their career? Yeah, I think I remember an old youth coach of mine saying when we first started out that you're just there to put them in the environment. And obviously those lads that you're talking about, they were only real young kids when I worked with them, you know, seven and eight, you know. So there's you could see they had ability, but anyone who says, you know, you could tell at that age that, you know, particular trend you know it's foolish to say that so you don't you know they were just part of they were part of the system and the environment that we created and I don't think you know you can you, you certainly don't take any credit for it to be honest you know there's a lot of water goes under the bridge under that uh, after that but yeah and I bumped into Trent I've not seen him for years and I bumped into him at St George's Park and he's a, he's a great kid um, really mature um, you know and you see it's nice to see I'm a Liverpool fan myself so it's Nice to see the young ones coming through, and it's real powerful that the the local ones get in, and I think the fans really appreciate it. After many years working in the academy structure at Liverpool, the opportunity arises for you to go to Blackburn Rovers initially as the reserves coach. How did that opportunity come about? Well, um, it was Paul Ince was the manager, and he just he'd uh, Carl Robinson left to go to MK Dons with him. So he left the sort of the, the young age groups at Liverpool Academy to go with Paul Ince to MK Dons at the start. They ended up winning, ended up winning League Two, and they won the trophy, I think, uh, or the 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 L, L what's it called the the State Trophy. Yeah, they won that, um, and then they got the opportunity to go to Blackburn. Thomas Ince was at Liverpool at the time, and you know Carl had got to know Thomas and got to know Paul and all the rest of it. So they went there, they did really well. Then they went to Blackburn and um, they needed a reserve team coach. Carl obviously um, 
spoke to Paul Ince and obviously Paul knew me from, from Liverpool and that's how that came about really. Um, and I'm, you know, grateful to Paul and to Carl for the, for the opportunity because it sort of sets you on your way then. You mentioned the fact that it sets you on your way. Working with the reserves at Blackburn and then being appointed to the first team with Sam Allardyce in there, what are the differences between working with the reserves and a first team? Um, well, I think the, I was fortunate when I arrived that there's a lot of good work went on at Blackburn. I know it still goes on, but there's a, they had a lot of good younger players that hadn't quite been given the opportunity, I don't think, previously. But there were some good players up to a certain level. So we had a good side. Um, you know, a lot of the lads went on and had good careers, maybe not the top level. Um, although Phil Jones and Jason Lowe and different people, Junior Hoylett and Martin Olsen, they all sort of came through that system um, and were given a first-team chance a little bit further down the line. It, was, it wasn't actually until Sam left that I moved up with the first team with, with Steve Keane when Steve moved across. Obviously, the difference is, you know, I remember speaking to to Sam when he first came in, Sam Allardyce, and asking him what you know what he wanted, and he said he wanted to know he wanted the players to know their roles. So and that was your job. Your job was to prepare them across the board, technically, physically, mentally, uh, to try you know to if they ever got an opportunity in the first team. So the, it's a development process, really. Definitely in in, uh, in working with the reserve team. Obviously, the move to the first team, it's all about the results. And you you can still develop the players. Don't get me wrong, but you know, you've got to win on the Saturday and that's the be-all and end-all. And, you know, there's different things that come with that. The highs and the, the highs of winning a game, um, you know, in a packed stadium, you know, at places like Anfield. And, you know, we beat Man United on New Year's Eve. Sir Alex Ferguson's 70th birthday, I think. We beat them um, at Old Trafford 3-2, which is a brilliant experience. Um, you know, 60,000 people there, the rest of it. And then two days later, you lose to Stoke at home at Ewood. So the ups and downs are quite... It was a turbulent time anyway, because obviously it's been well-documented, change of ownership and what have you. But it was uh, the thrills of, you know, being involved uh, at that level, uh, uh, second to none, really. But it's just a, it's a different experience. See, when you're the reserve manager, you're the reserve coach, and Sam's the manager... Before we go on to Steve Keane, do you get the opportunity to, to watch Sam and his staff coaching the first team? Is that something you get the opportunity to watch or, or take part in? Again, I was lucky because um, quite early on, um, Sam asked me to on a match day to sit with him up in the stands. So that was his way of developing and keeping me involved and helping me see what the first team were, were, were looking towards. So I used to sit with him in the stand in the first half with the earpiece in. Um, so him, Sam, um, Neil McDonald, his assistant at the time, Steve Keane, when he was first in coach, Bobby Mims, they all wanted to help and develop and they were good people and they were, they were good to me. So they, you know, whatever you needed, they, they listened. I remember doing, when I was doing my pro licence, um, Neil and Steve Keane, Neil McDonald and Steve Keane made me present it to them and they'd ask me questions. This was before... I was getting, you know, obviously doing my presentation for the actual course. So they really wanted to help. So I was fortunate on that front, um, to be honest. But, the, you know, the, the, they were open to everything. Um, I used to go to away games when, when the schedule allowed and stay with them in the hotels and get to know the environment. And, um, so it was good. I was lucky. 
One of the things I'm, I'm interested to ask you about, you mentioned your closeness of relationship with Sam. In terms of one of the signings he made at the time that was quite interesting was, was El Hadj Juf. I mean, what was the thinking behind that signing? I was speaking about this the other day, actually, and um, I have to say in the time that I even... Uh, El Hadj played a couple of games for me in the reserve team and he was, he was, his attitude was brilliant. He was great with the young players. Um, and always, I never, ever had a problem with him at all. He was always good to me. Um, and, and we got on great. And I think one of the reasons they signed him, I think, what Sam explained to me once, was that he was the most, one of the most fouled players in the Premier League. So, you know, the idea would be to get the ball to him in the final third. Obviously, he had good ability going inside and outside. And a lot of the time, because of the nature of Jufi, you know, you could imagine that defenders that want to play against him want to give him a kick. And obviously, that led to quite a lot of free kicks. And at that period of time, we had Morton Gamps Pedersen and David Dunn, people like that who could deliver the ball in. And you've also got people like Chris Samba and Jason Roberts and Ryan Nelson who can edit in the back of the net. So, a lot of the, the you know, it's, it's a clever way of thinking to think, okay, well, we'll assign him. You know, he'll get us a lot of fouls in the final third and it helps us create pressure. Um, so that was that was one of the things that he mentioned to me. And obviously, Doofy had been a good player as well. Um, you know, had good technical ability and the, and the rest of it and could score a goal too. When first-team players, you mentioned Doofy coming down to the reserve team, when the first-team players came down to the reserves, whether it was to regain fitness or what have you, what were they like with the young players and what was it like for you to coach them in that regard? I think um, I always just used to go go speak to them if I could before they were playing because a lot of the time it wasn't the ideal situation for them either they'd been dropped um, for whatever reason it could have been disciplinary it could have been anything they're just out the manager's plans or they're coming back from injury and I always used to try and speak to them beforehand and say look you know this is your game for the week you know make don't give anyone any opportunities to criticise you you know do what you need to do and when you're ready and if, if it's an hour that you're going to play, give us give us everything you've got for an hour and then we'll, we'll see how you get on. And I never really had a problem with anybody because of that. They were all decent enough lads and they understood the situation. Particularly if you're coming back from injury, you need the games, you need them, you know, you need the uh, the minutes under your belt. So it was, it was never really an issue for me. I remember, to be honest, my second game as a reserve team coach, obviously at Blackburn when Paul Lynch was the manager. I had Robbie Fowler because Paul had signed Paul Lynch had signed Robbie on a short-term contract. And the last time I saw Robbie, obviously he was, you know, he was in the first team and at Liverpool, and you know, um, and he was my he was in my team, you know. And I used to always ask them their opinion as well. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And they, you know, they were always really receptive, particularly, you know, even after games where you'd say, you know, you played in the game. We're going to do a video afterwards. Uh, particularly Emil Heskey did this at Bolton quite a lot. Jason Roberts did it, David Dunn. Where I'd say, we're going to show the, the young lads the video of the game. Do you want to come in? And they was yeah, great, no problem. Because they obviously wanted to develop themselves as well in terms of what they were, they were looking at. So it was never really an issue for me. One of the things I'm, I'm also intrigued to ask you is, you, you mentioned Sam moves on. Steve Keane is the manager. You get the chance to, to work in the first team with Steve. <laughs> Now, Steve is someone who I'm interested to ask you about because at the time he got a lot of criticism in the media and um, he got a lot of criticism from fans. And I actually 
felt quite sorry for him because you could tell he was passionate about what he did. And and in terms of coaching, what was it like as a coach? Because I think it's easy from the outside looking in to 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 point fingers and say, oh, he's only in there for whatever reason. But he he, he was a coach who was highly regarded. Steve's an excellent coach, really good coach. Um, and obviously the circumstances around um, him getting the opportunity, you know, it's not, it's, the club went, decided to go down a certain route and Steve was the, the man that they chose. And obviously with, with that, he gave me an opportunity to, to work at that level. Um, again, from a personal point of view, he was good to me. Uh, he helped me when I was a reserve team coach. He helped obviously as a manager and I was a fir- young first team coach, you know, I was only early 30s at the time. So that was, a, you know, it was a challenge, but he was always real supportive of me. Um, Steve did, when we first, when he first came and he was first team coach, um, he sort of spoke to me about what they called, they called it, a de- they all call it a development group now. But he said, look, this is what, this is a good idea. Why don't, you know, a couple of afternoons a week, we bring the players who are young players who are in the first team squad, don't always play, get 15 minutes here and there. Let's let's take them out and do some extra stuff. So he was always, you know, technical work, a lot of technical work. Um and it was good and it went, you know, it went it, it, it went a long way, I think, to helping. So in terms of uh, Steve as a coach, he was he was a, he was an excellent coach. Um and I'm highly regarded and you know that was that's something that shouldn't really be forgotten. The circumstances around the club at the time were difficult. Um, the change of ownership and the rest of it was was hard, and I think it would have been hard for anybody, to be honest. Um, you know, when it, it went a certain way, and that was it was. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a great period, um, but obviously it's nice to see them now because they're a terrific club, Blackburn. Um, it's nice to see them now, sort of getting back to hopefully where the where they can get to really. Um, I suppose that's modern day football. There's, there's changes of ownership, etc., etc. It's it can it can be difficult. Blackburn, as you say, there was a few ups, there was downs. It was a difficult time overall. At the end of your spell with Blackburn in 2012, you you go over to Malta. I mean, how did that come about? And was it a case of after being through the the ups and downs of Blackburn that you wanted a a fresh challenge that was completely different to to what you were involved in because. It's your chance to become the head coach as well. Yeah, that was one of the things. It was um, really, uh, Carl again, to be honest, Carl Robinson sort of spoke to me. Um, Stephen Vaughan had taken a club. We, we'd, we'd coached young Stephen Vaughan um, at Liverpool and he, he'd played in the reserve team there. And anyway, he, he, him and his family had sort of invested in a club in Malta. Um, I was sort of working out my, it worked for me really because I was sort of working my notice with Blackburn um, in, a, in a way and it was only a short term thing and they needed somebody with a pro licence so I only, I went from the end of January until the beginning of May so it was quite a short period but again it was, so it was a no, rather than sitting at home and you know doing the gardening which I would never have done anyway. Um, it was a chance to get some senior experience in the national league and obviously abroad. I'd always wanted to work abroad or have a go at it, living in a different country. Uh, personally, it had worked well. Um, I'd only just met, uh, who's now my wife, Natalie. So we, we, she was able to come and there was no children around then that she was able to come and stay and 
it was a great time, really enjoyed it. Great place. Um, and I learned a lot from being out there. Um, again, being, being in a foreign country, the, the importance of the communication. A lot of the lads spoke English, but simple instruction. And we did, we had a, they were un, certainly underperforming. And then uh, the group of players that we had. So uh, it was just a case of sort of getting back to basics, really, getting them organised. And uh, we ended up um, winning nine and, draw, and lose, drawing one of the, the, the 10 games that were in the relegation pool. So did quite well. You mentioned the fact that you do quite well um, unbeaten, so very well, I would say, personally. Um, you, you're over there, you're getting that experience, but then the opportunity to, to come back home presents itself, this time working with the FA. Um, is that something that was a really exciting challenge for you? Because you go on to work with some of the, the names that we're familiar with now, the likes of Deli Ali, Harry Winks, Dominic Solanke and others. Yeah, it was... Um... Again, it was a, it was a time where I'd, my, the majority of my career had been in development and, and youth development academy and reserve team, and then obviously the, the short spell, well, the eighteen months, whatever it was, with the first team with Blackburn, and then the, the, the sort of three months in Malta. Um, it was also an opportunity. It was something different. It was working for the National Ed, uh, Association. It was in coach education, which was something different. So it enabled me to sort of get qualifications that I hadn't had before. Um, so yeah, it was, and it was also moving, moving back home. Um, so personally, it was a good, it was a good thing for me. And I must say, the eighteen months I had the um, were brilliant. It was a test because it was something new. I was out of the comfort zone quite a lot. Um, the majority of the job was working with academy coaches in the northwest, helping them through their awards, their youth awards. So you'd go to Accrington, you'd go um, to Preston North End. And you'd work with the, you know, all the coaches that were working all the way up. So you, it wasn't as much coaching, but obviously a lot of you were looking at sessions, you were working with people, you were trying to develop them. Um, and, and I really, really enjoyed it. The, the working with the national team, the under-18s and under-19s as well, I think, at one point, that came about only because I knew Neil Dewsnip. He'd just been appointed the under-18 coach and they needed... This was before they started having full-time assistants. So each time he had a camp, um, he would choose someone to go and help him. And obviously, I knew him, so I, I was lucky enough. I got to I got to spend. I, did, I think I did three camps with him, which was brilliant. Um, the first one, Delhi Delhi Ali played. So we played Croatia a couple of times. Delhi played. Um, Damari Gray played in that group, and then we went on, and it was it was the. Was some of the younger ones, Dominic Solanke, etc., and Shea OJ. So it was, uh, yeah, brilliant because you're working with the best players at, the, at that age group. Um, great experience. We played Croatia was the first a couple of games against Croatia. Then we played Germany, uh, and then we played Holland twice. So I got to do three games, which was uh, Harry Winks yeah, scored the winner against Germany late on in the game at Rotherham. That was a that was a good night. A good spell with England, you're working with those those um, teams, the development side of it. Then you go to Bolton Wanderers. How did that move come about? And I know that you've spoken about this before, that you and Neil Lennon, obviously now the Celtic manager, um, completed your pro licence together. So was that a big factor in you going there? Yeah. Um, I'd got to know Neil again not during the course and that we'd got on well. And at the time, I was reserve team coach at Blackburn and he was development squad 
uh, coach at Celtic. So they were they didn't play in the league, so he was always looking for games. So obviously on the course we got to know each other, and he'd come down and play games, and we'd go up there and play games. So we kept in touch, um, and I, yeah, I just kept in touch with him quite a lot. And obviously then he got the Celtic job the first time around, which was brilliant. Um, you know, I'd speak to him every couple of months or whatever, and then actually. I bumped into him, well, I didn't bump into him. I went to meet him in Portugal. I was out there and had a chat, and he was sort of in between things. And then the Bolton job came up for him, and he, they needed um, an under twenty one coach. Um, so I went in, but it was it worked out similar to the way Sam worked it because I used to go to the first team games. I used to be I used to sit in the stands, etc. So it worked it worked quite well. Obviously, it was uh, again another. Uh, Another difficult period in the end, but the first season was there. They did a great job. Um, and the one thing about it that you take pride from, I think, from that, Neil had a real, and his assistant, Gary Parker, they had a real um, willingness to play the young players. They wanted to play the young ones and give them an opportunity. And, you know, we've got quite a lot of debuts, you know, probably nine or ten debuts in that sort of 18 month period, which was great. Obviously, you'd You'd swap some of those uh, first team sort of appearances, debuts for a bit more stability in the league, you know, with the, with the team. And obviously, they ended up getting relegated, which wasn't, which was obviously really uh, which was a big blow to them. Um, but yeah, in circumstances that, uh, you know, really sort of turned out difficult in the end, uh, you know, to take a lot of pride from the time that we were there. Again, another really good football club full of really good people um well certainly the, the people were there when i when i was there were, were, were terrific had a good relationship with the academy and um you know you wish them well and again hopefully they can they can get back to where they they, they belong to be really but it's a good football club one of the things is we've talked about um that shines through in this interview so far is your passion for developing players during your time at bolton working with neil Seven academy players make their debuts. The obvious one I need to ask you about, Rob Holding, just how much of a, a talent was he as a kid? Um, he's, he was, I found, and again, I think, uh, forgive me, I'm getting, uh, my, my memory's going a little bit. He was, um, he suffered a little bit from, he had a bit of a, like all young players do, they, would, they, would, they have ups and downs, and he was suffering a little bit confidence-wise, and we'd had a chat, and I, I started to play him at right back, just to get him involved, get him more on the ball, develop his confidence a bit more. And he scored a few goals and he was he's really good on the ball. Really good. He was quick um, and different. His own guys, you know, the, the lads would be watching the Sopranos on the team coach and he'd be watching David Attenborough, Polar Bears, or, you know, whatever it was. He's different, uh, bright, you know. Um, not that if you watch the Sopranos, you're not bright. I don't mean that. But... Um, he was, he was different and he was an individual. And it just sort of came about that he'd just done so well. And then Neil and Gary, they needed, and uh, Johan Mialbi was there at the time, obviously a centre-back himself. Um, the opportunity came. And another, Steve Harry always told me, you never, ever know how they're going to do until they give them the chance. And he just took to it and he did really, really well. Composed on the ball, you know, had, had a... I remember him getting substituted at half-time away at Middlesbrough away. You know, we were 2-0 down or 3-0 down, I think they were at the time. But, you know, glitches, because they all have glitches, you know, as in their experience. But he knuckled down, he did very, very well. And obviously it was a, 
the move to Arsenal was a great move for him. And it was nice to see him not so long later. He was winning the, uh, he won the FA Cup, which was terrific. Absolutely. And again, the interesting aspect of your career from Blackburn to Malta, from Bolton to Jordan. How did that come about? Because another incredible opportunity that not many English and British yeah. get. What happened, um, a, an ex-Liverpool colleague of mine, Liverpool Academy colleague of mine, Stuart Gelling, he got the technical director's job over there. Um, and again, in Asia, the Olympics is very important to them. Um, so they needed an Olympic coach. Well, they call it the Olympic coach, it's actually the under-23 coach. Um, so that was, that was something that was, uh, it was a great opportunity. It was something different. Um, my wife was, who was now my wife, she was real supportive. You know, we'd, we'd only just had a little one. She was only 18 months old. So it was, it was a tough one in terms of personally, but it was an unbelievable experience. Um, and, you know, got to see that part of the world quite a lot. And we, again, it was a, um, the way that it works over there is the, the equivalent, the Asian under 23 championships, which are, which I suppose is the equivalent to the UEFA under 21 championships. When those championships coincide with an Olympic year, they use it for Olympic qualification. So the top four do that. Now, the year out, the 18 months I was there, the under 23 championships every two years. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't actually a qualification tournament, that one. It was just a, basically we were using it to prepare some of the younger players to get, you know, for the, for the following one. Um, and it was actually in China, which, which, was, um, which was, ended up being, being interesting. There was a little link to that. But totally, totally different culture. Totally, totally different football culture. Um, and helps you, I think. Again, tried a little bit of the language. Um, learned lessons in terms of how you communicate. You know, how they need to be speaking to, how spoken to how you can use your images, how you can use your video, all the different things like that. So it was a, a, a brilliant time, really enjoyed it. Um, we did well, we qualified the 1995 age group to the Asian finals, which, was, which they'd never done before, so that was good. We ended up getting knocked out by Iraq, but um, a, a brilliant experience. In terms of the players in Jordan, and the players in Malta, technically, what are they like? Because obviously, we all know about the players at the Liverpool Academy, Blackburn, etc., Bolton. But I'm interested to know the technical quality of the players from these nations. It's difficult to say if the. Um, I don't. I think the just the game in Europe stronger at the younger end. I think the the, the and again, I think it will cut. It'll it will develop, but there's not a lot of importance placed on the younger players. So when you, you know, it's only really about the top end and the older players and results and all the rest of it. So it was, it's that in, in that sense, it's, it's, you know, they can miss out a little bit on some of the, on some of the stuff and some of the grounding, if you like, um, that you get with the European teams. Again, in, in Malta, we had foreign players. We had, you know, Brazilians, Africans who played so obviously the, the mix was was different um, over in Jordan not so much um, the problem in Jordan that I faced was that there was a lot of and I suppose it's the same problem everywhere we have an under 23 team that 
the national team, but they're not playing regularly in the during the week or when you have them, they've not played for a long time. Um, again, it's a, I suppose it's a problem everywhere, but that was a big problem. And then the competition wasn't strong enough on a weekly domestic basis. Not the not the not the the league, the senior league over there. There's a few, you know, a handful of the lads are playing that, but below that, if they weren't in the first team, they didn't get to play games and. Um, it, that was that was a challenge. So you end up, you know, a lot of differences between development, you know, right across the board. If obviously you've not played for three months and then you join up with a national team, it's difficult. Um, mentality more developed if you're playing in, in men's football every week. So challenges on 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 those fronts, for sure. You mentioned the fact that you've got challenges on those fronts from Jordan to China. We talked about China earlier on. The next thing I'm, I'm interested to ask is, you end up going to Norway, head of academy at Malta, working alongside Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. What was he like as a, a manager, as a person in, in and around the club? Because obviously we all know him as the current Manchester United manager. I think, well, just to, just to um, sort of get the, the, the timeline right, I sort of interviewed for the job November time, October, November time of 2000 and. 18 um, and I met him when I went to speak to them and I was chatting because I'd known Ollie for a, a number of years because when I was at Blackburn taking the reserve team he was taking Manchester United's reserve team so we used to play against each other and phone each other up and talk about players and different things a real nice guy um, so when I went to meet him um, you know he said to me look it's going to be it'll be a, it's a good challenge we need um, you know, we want to restructure the academy a little bit. We need to develop a few more of our own players. Um, you know, this is going to be a good thing. So obviously, I went away. Was you know, uh, it wasn't due to start until January, and in that time, he obviously got the Man United um, caretaker role. And then, so I actually never worked with him because he wasn't there. Uh, so we, I joined in January, and he'd been there sort of at United since the December maybe, and obviously carried on and and went there permanently. But um, all the people at Mulder spoke, obviously spoke very, really highly of him in terms of him, him as a guy, um, you know, and the experiences that he can bring to the players and they'd had success there. So, you know, um, understood the players, good with them, good man management. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. I was looking forward to obviously working alongside him to a certain degree, but that wasn't to happen. And I'm sure, you know, he's gone on to, one of the biggest jobs in the world, so good luck to him. In terms of your time at Molda, you you made some really good developments there on and off the field, so much so that as we talked about at the start of this, interest came in from the Chinese FA. What was your role at Molda and what did it involve on a day-to-day -day basis? I was the head of academy, so um, they'd the Norwegian academy system is sort of going through the change that went on in England. They're getting audited. Um, it was a, there was a, there was a grading system um, like there was in the UK, like there is in the UK, or certainly in England, um, categorised, and that determined what games you could play, what funding you got. Um, so I was sort of overseeing that, overseeing all the age group coaches. The difference in Norway is is that they don't start as young. There's like a social rule where you can't really select players until the 13. So they miss out. They, they, they obviously play football from a younger age, but a lot of it's for their local team. And it's, you know, a lot of their development up to that point is, um, you know, down to parents and 
uh, teachers, etc. So that was that. There's, so it was a bit of a challenge on that front. Um, Molder, where it is, location-wise, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to um, in the fjords. Beautiful, but a long way away from the major cities. So your catchment area is a lot smaller. So if your catchment area is a lot smaller and, and obviously at national level, they're, they're sort of in the top two every, every year. They won the league last year. It's more, you know, getting players through and developing them is, is a challenge. So they wanted to go down a little bit of a different route. Um, we, tried, we restructured things a little bit. We were due to start a little bit earlier in terms of their age groups because um, when I went there, they only started really at 15, really, um, in the academy. So we sort of looked to develop that and go down a bit lower. Um, it's interesting, and the reserve team or the B team, or the Mulder 2, they're actually called, they play in the fourth division. Uh, so the players, the younger players are getting you know, experience of playing against men a lot of the time. Um, but it's not, it's not as, they don't turn professional as readily and as, as early. You know, if, if they're in Molder 2, it's from 17, to still at full-time education, the sort of age from 17 to 20, any time during that period that they can get into the first thing, then they do. But they carry on and finish their education off, which is, which is a, you know, the, the, the students who play football, whereas the system here is probably the footballers who go to college. You understand what I mean? Real great people, great club, wonderful environment. Um, yeah, and it was I really enjoyed my time there. But the like I was trying to explain earlier, the the, uh, the guy who sort of recruited me to go and work for Shanghai had become the general secretary of the Chinese FA and they were looking at restructuring the national team programme right across the board all the way up, um, you know, from 15 all the way up and they wanted uh, some work initially within the 19 team. So I left, um, I took temporary leave from Molde just for four months and went and helped the under-19 team in, a, in an Asian qualification tournament that was in uh, Miramar. So we were over there. We lost out on a goal, one goal, to be honest, to South Korea, which was a bit of a blow, but they played quite well. Um, and then I came back and I was used to go back to Moldova and then they approached me and asked me to to go for a longer period of time, um, which is sort of where we're at now. Um, so it's another couple of years once I uh, once I get over there. Well, as you say, once you go over there, that's another couple of years Um for you sorted and, and, and lots of hard work going on, working towards the Olympics and other things, as you've said. In terms of the future, you're working in China for the next few years. Have you got ambitions to return to work in the Premier League or the Championship at first team level, or is going down the technical director side, working in the technical elements of football? Is that your preferred option? I think so. I think, you, you know, in, in anything, I don't think you can say, particularly in fussy, you can't really never say never to anything, you know? Um, opportunities come up and I think you have to make a, a if you're lucky enough to get a few different opportunities and I know a lot of good people who don't get opportunities so I think you have to have a take what's coming at that particular time obviously the more that you know if you can have success whatever that success might be if it's winning things or it's developing players obviously that helps you um, so never say never really to anything that, that, that can um, that'll come up um, I'm excited about this this current project because it's uh it's we're starting at the bottom really and sort of working our 
trying to build something for the future. So who knows? Well, as you say, who knows what the future holds, but I wish you all the best. And the last question I've got for you, and because of your experience at home and abroad, it's a, quite a broad question, but what advice would you give to any young coaches listening to this? I'd say get your qualifications, but get coaching, you know. Do as much coaching as you possibly can. You've got to get the hours. You've got to make mistakes. You've got to understand about organising things, um, different situations, being able to adapt. And you only get that with coaching hours. So I think younger coaches, coach, whatever level it is, it doesn't matter. Get you, then you can try things out. Uh, working with children is, or working with young players is a great place to start because you can try things out but you also one of the biggest things about working with the young ones is if the board and you're talking too much or the session's not right they'll let you know and that's the stuff that you need to you know you need to make sure that you you know you're getting there, all the learning in there but also making sure that they're, they're enjoying it and things are things are enjoyable for the players qualifications is big and take opportunities if you ever get the chance to go abroad go Learn about different places, um, different cultures. Not will help you not just with your coaching, but also with your with your life in general. Um, yeah, but get out and get the get the hours on the grass. That's that's the big thing. Brilliant. as I say, and thank you very much for joining me. You're someone I was really excited about getting on because not often you get to speak to a coach who's worked in the Premier League in England and also around the globe with the likes of Jordan and China, and Malta. So thank you for joining me. Problem, thank you. So we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song.